The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Good morning. We are, we are looking today at uh, Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. And of course, Paul is very much concerned about these believers understanding the difference between bondage under the law and freedom under the law of Christ, which is not a law that qualifies you to receive from him, but rather it's a, it's a law that simply manifests the reality of who he is. And so we're looking at this, the difference between these two things, the bondage that comes through the law or freedom that comes when we uh, live under Christ. We come to know him and believe him. And this is what the text says. It says, but before faith came, which is talking about the revelation of who Jesus was when he came, before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed, because it's going to be this faith through which we are going to receive salvation. And then he goes on, he says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. I need to explain to you what the word tutor means. Uh, It's not used in the same way we use it. It's not talking about someone who knows how to teach the students individually, but it's, it's talking about a pedagogos, which means someone who leads children where they need to go. They would actually have servants in the house, and their whole responsibility was watch over the children. And so they were the ones who walked the children to school and took them into the care of the teacher that they sat under. And he says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were, who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. That's, that's an interesting expression. It's saying that when you were, you put faith in Christ and you were baptized in His name, if you remember that day, when you were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you, it was a picture of you being baptized into Christ and being clothed with Christ, so that when God looks at you, He sees His Son. You are just like His Son in His presence. And he goes on, he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. He's talking about those who are in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, which is the word for seed. And this is what this is all about, is uh, the, the promise that God made to Abraham through faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he becomes the the first man who actually receives salvation by faith. And this becomes the picture of every believer who turns to, to Christ in faith and believes on him. And he says, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants or seed, which he has promised. It's God promised Abraham through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. Now we come to know that, that be, that's actually an, a, an allusion to Jesus Christ himself. But here he says that all of those who are in Christ are also his seed because we have a relationship with Christ. And so he says, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed or descendants, heirs according to promise. God made us that promise. Now the rule of law brings bondage. That is the law that God gave to Israel for how they should live in the promised land. When people look to that law as the basis of their salvation, they will begin to experience bondage. 
which is, is designed as a rule that was fit for this time, because this was a time of ignorance. It was before faith came. That is, it was before the full revelation concerning Jesus came at his coming to the earth. It's the explicit revelation of Christ in time. Faith waited for this complete revelation. In other words, God called men to faith once he had given this complete revelation concerning Christ, and our faith was to be in Christ. We believe Christ. We trust Christ because of what he's done for us. And Paul's point is this. The law intended to function only during this 1,500-year period of anticipation that 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10-12 through 12 talk about. And it's also a time of imprisonment. We were kept, he says, this is what the Jew would say, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. In other words, God was using the law to keep his people in the right place so that they could receive the full salvation that was going to come through Jesus when he came into the world. The purpose of the law was to hold Israel a prisoner, in a sense, locking them up until Christ came and then they would be, they would enter into the salvation that Jesus was going to provide for them through his death and resurrection. His death on the cross and his resurrection in the power of God. So they were kept in custody. This is a military term. It's something that we don't often use, but it means to garrison about. It means to, for an army to surround a prisoner people and to hold them there uh, to do what they needed to do. So they garrisoned these, the, the law garrisoned the Jewish people together, those who knew about this coming promise of Jesus Christ. And the law was like a garrison of, around them. But prison is not just a place of captivity. It's also a place of protection. That is that God wanted to protect his people so that they would, would be there to come to faith in Christ when the truth about him was totally revealed in the scriptures. So the law was the protector as well as the uh, one, the the one who was the jailer, and so this uh, this keeping them until Christ came was very important to God. Only Christ can save, and and if he, because He wanted to save you, He kept you alive long enough so that you could hear the gospel message about Christ. And to say that we were shut up means that they were being held in bondage until Christ would come. This pictures the the bondage of the law. So when people want to live under the law, they don't realize that what they're asking is, I want to live in bondage. I want to live under the rule of the law that forces me to do everything I do because it says this is what is right. But it kept blocking the way of escape from this condemnation. And then we finally have Paul admitting in, in Romans chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this, the body of this death? I think it's interesting that he doesn't say, who will deliver me from this law? He says, who will deliver me from the body of this death? That is his own nature, his own un, 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 inability to keep the law. He couldn't keep this righteous law. And so he, he cried out to the Father, who will deliver me? And then he answers by saying, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it was Christ who was coming to, to save him and deliver him from this bondage that the, that the sin had began to manifest as it was keeping people, the Jewish people, until Jesus Christ came on the scene, and then they would turn to him in faith. Uh, this was a time also of immaturity. The law had become our tutor to lead us to Christ. 
Now, this was a common thing in, in families of, of some means. They would always have a servant whose whole job was to watch out for the children and to always take them to the teacher. And so they were called a tutor or a child director. Their role ended when the child entered into the fullness of his position as a son of God. Now, when the Bible speaks about us being sons of God, it is saying that we have a high position in the family of God. We are adult sons in the presence of God. And everyone who has entered into faith in Christ has become a son of God. In fact, the Bible confuses some people because it says that even women who believe in Christ have become sons of God because it's not talking about their sex or their gender. It's talking about the fact that now they have this status in the family. They are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And so he talks a lot here about the fact that we have been closely watched and, and watched over so that we would be in the right place at the right time when the message of Christ came. And so this was why we had these tutors in the first century when, when Jesus, when God was promising that his son was coming and he wanted his people to be there when he came so they could be saved and set apart and become sons of God. And he says this was to lead this, the whole idea of the law was to lead men to Christ. We were kept in bondage under law until the coming of Christ. Shutting us up wasn't an end in itself. It was necessary to make them know and feel the constraints of the taskmaster so they'd welcome the deliverer who was Jesus Christ. One of the things that motivates a person to come to faith in Christ and to receive salvation is the horrible experience of being in bondage under the law and not being able to obey it. And so the purpose was that we may be justified by faith through believing in Christ and putting our trust in him. The ultimate uh, is to is is the ultimate objective of the law is as the role of a pedagogue a child leader to bring all of the these people to Christ to be delivered from the intolerable bondage and enter upon the enjoyment of the promised blessings Ju- that is justification which is God declared us to be righteous and he says we are right with him and the and the life that we receive through Jesus Christ and the holy spirit that we received as a gift And it's not by works, but by faith. We received all of this, all of the benefits of salvation by faith in Christ. And he simply made the declaration. He told us what the Father's testimony was about him. And and, uh, this is why we have these statements in Scripture. For example, it says in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, it says, This is the testimony. And he's talking about the testimony of God about his Son. This is the testimony that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. So if you want the life, you must receive Christ by faith. So in verse 25, you have kind of a transition. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. What he's saying there is we're no longer under the law because we have come to Christ who has has come in his fullness and we have put faith in him and have been saved. So we are no longer like children under a tutor or under a child leader because we have put faith in Christ and now we are sons of God. So the actual results of this passage from the reign of the law to the rule of Christ is that that movement has taken place. We are no longer under the law. We are under grace, the grace that has been given to us through Jesus Christ. And what we have in Christ is this. First of all, we have the freedom of acceptance. In verses 26 and 27, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. 
For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So this we that he's talking about, and you in verses 26 through 29, Israel stood in covenant relationship with God before Christ came. The Gentiles, like that, like all of us, we had not. We had not been in a covenant with God. But now all who trust in Christ are brought into a relationship with God incomparably superior even to that of Israel before the coming of Christ. Verse 27 tells us how a person comes becomes a son. It's through baptism into Christ. Now, what that expression means, we understand. When we read that, we think being baptized in water in the name of Christ What he's talking about is the fact that when you submit to baptism into the name of Christ, it's because you have put faith in Christ. And so it's, it's picturing your, your being united to him and we become a part of Christ and now we are in Christ. And he says, in fact, he puts it this way, you have clothed yourselves with Christ. That's a change of identity. It's kind of like the, the Roman custom, the custom in the Roman Empire was, There was this celebration of a young man when he came to be in full manhood. He discarded his garments of childhood, and he put on what was called the toga virilis, which was the garment of manhood, and he became a citizen, enjoying the freedom and privileges of citizenship and in discharging its responsibilities. And at the same time, he takes his place in the councils of his own family. And this is what happens to us when we come to Christ. We enter a brand new kind of life. We have a whole new position before God. We are one with Christ. And the rule of Christ be- brings freedom to us. In verses 25 through 29, it talks about a transition that takes place. And this is how it says it. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. That is, we're not under a law, the, the Mosaic law. It, it was temporal and it was to prepare us. Now, the we here is referring to the Jewish Christians, but it includes all of us who are Christians today who have put our faith in Christ. As Romans 7, 6 says, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. But what are the actual results of this passage? From the reign of the law to the rule of Christ. Well, we first of all experience the the freedom of belonging in verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ, Jesus. Now, what he's saying is uh, the group that we're a part of doesn't determine whether or not we can be in Christ because we have become one with all other believers, both male and female, Jew and Gentile, uh, Asians and, and Caucasians and so forth. So... A Jew remains a Jew, a Gentile remains a Gentile, but they don't lose their identity. But by becoming a Christian, now we belong to each other in such a way that distinctions that formerly divided us, we're seeing that in our country today. We see that so many times where people uh, see the division between them and all of the people who are not of the same gender or race or whatever. But what he tells us is we are all one in Christ. All of us who have believed in Christ, we are one, regardless of our race, regardless of our gender, regardless of what our background is, we are one together in Christ Jesus. So there's neither these or these, neither Jew nor Gentile. It doesn't merely state the fact. It asserts the impossibility of the contrary. It's impossible for us to remain in a group outside of the group, which is the body of Christ, the members of the body of Christ. 
This barrier has been broken down in Christ. That's what we're told in Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 18. So today in Christ, there is neither black nor white, Caucasian nor Asian, nor any other such distinction. We are one in Christ. No social barriers either, where there's no slave or free. Doesn't deny that in actual fact, there are social distinctions among men. Simply affirms that for those who are united to Christ, these things don't matter anymore. In fact, when such distinctions no longer matter, when men treat each other as true brothers in Christ, regardless of their social standing, then the power of of such distinctions is broken and a basis is laid for social change. Based on this truth, the local church, the ideal local church, should reflect the racial or social mix of the community that it is a part of. Because we welcome people from every race, every uh, both men and women and so forth, it's because we are one in Christ. We have become one in Christ, regardless of what our, our background is, regardless of what our status in the world is. We have become one in Christ. And there's no sexual barriers, male or female. It's hard to imagine how badly women were treated in antiquity, even in Judaism, and how difficult it is to find any statement about the equality of the sexes. You can't find it in ancient literature. Uh, in any uh, ancient text, it, it, it tells us this. It tells us, for example, like one Jew prayed, and it was recorded, I thank God that thou hast not made me a woman. This was a common morning prayer, and this was a common attitude that people had in that day. Josephus wrote, a woman is inferior to man in every way. The Gentile world had similar expressions, but Christ had given the woman her proper status as a co-equal believer priest. Historically, where Christianity spread, there was the, the gradual elevation of honoring of women. And so we have this freedom. Uh, and uh, I can testify to the fact that uh, women have de- demonstrated the fact that they are far greater in ability in Christ Jesus than we have ever we ever knew before. And then he talks about our freedom of true riches. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. That is, heirs according to promise. What are we receiving? What is our inheritance? Well, it's it's the universe. We are going to inherit the universe because we have been, we have been joined to Christ. And we, because we have been joined to Christ, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So this comes under the, uh, this comes under the fact that we've been set free from the law and we become a part of Abraham's seed. That is the seed through whom all the nations will be blessed. <clears throat> now when the, Je- the Jews talked about this, they meant that if you put yourself under the law, you would be a part of the physical seed of Abraham. But Paul now replies that what the legalizers were offering through circumcision was actually already theirs in Christ, but it was only theirs in him. He is the seed to whom the promises were made. Believers enter into the promises by entering into him and into Christ, thereby also becoming the spiritual seed to God. Now, the argument in verse 27 through 29 it can be summarized this way. You were baptized into Christ, therefore you put on Christ, and so you are in Christ. You are Christ's members, united like members of a body. Have you noticed how closely connected your right hand is to your left hand? And how that you naturally know how to to touch your left hand to your right hand? It's because you're one in your body. Your members are one. They are joined to one another in a way that only God could design. 
So we are, we are, as followers of Christ, we are Abraham's seed, and we are heirs of the promises of God, the promises that he made to Abraham. And so we understand our new identity in Christ, and now we have acceptance. God has accepted us. God knows us perfectly, and yet through faith in Christ, he has accepted us, and we feel gratitude because of that. Now we have acceptance in Christ and its implications for life. For example, as Colossians 2, 6 and 7 say, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. The atmosphere of acceptance and security instead of rejection and legalism is our new life in Christ. We live under the rule of God in which he has a high view of us. He loves us. He values us far above anything we can think. I have a friend who wrote a book called Worth a Son, and his whole point was to communicate the concept that God has shown by sending his son to save us that we were worth a son to him. He was willing to give his own son as a payment for our sins. And that's how we understand our new identity. In Christ, we have acceptance, we have appreciation, and we feel gratitude. And now we have acceptance in Christ and its implications for life. As he says in Colossians 2, Therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In other words, you, you should walk before God as a child of God, as a son of God, who has been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So we know these things, we count them to be true, and we experience this life of fellowship with the living God. And we're dealing with the God of the universe who says to us, I love you and I am glad you are a part of my family. You are one of my sons. That is a great, great privilege. It's our acceptance and security instead of rejection and legalism. It's our new life in Christ. We don't have to work for merit badges and and come to be highly recognized. We have a God in heaven who counts us to be his children, and he treats us as his children. And so this is how we know that we are a part of the freedom that is in Christ Jesus rather than the bondage which is under the law. We have been saved by Christ through faith plus nothing. And now we live in fellowship with him through faith and based upon grace. It's a free gift. And so we are so grateful for that. And we're grateful that we can offer that to any person who will put their faith in Christ. They will receive this very life that he has told us will be with us from all eternity. Let me give thanks for this message, the message of this text. Father, we are so grateful for this truth that you've given us. We thank you for the fact that Jesus came to bring us into the family, to save us, to do away with all of our sins and everything about us that would cause you to be repelled by us. And we thank you, Father, we've been accepted by you. And we want to live our lives knowing and living out the truth that we have a Father in heaven. Thank you for leading Jesus to tell us how to pray. We are to pray in this way, our Father. You are our Father. And we are so grateful we can come to you and ask you to meet our needs and know that you you desire to do that very thing because of your love for us. We thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.